Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of the Neil World Order Podcast. Coming to you on another uh, chilly night. Actually, it's only 36 degrees here, which is way warmer than it has been this week uh, here in Wisconsin. Uh, Crazy things going on. Um, I mean, first off, what do we have? This satellite thing? Weather satellite? Spy satellite from China that floated from... uh, well, it was in the, in the air from, uh, was it Billings, Montana, over the air of Billings, Montana, to a um, eventually, I don't know, hit Kansas over southern Illinois. It was, ended up in uh, South Carolina, Myrtle Beach area, where uh, uh, U.S. forces finally shot the thing out of the sky, which probably was about a day too late. Uh, it'll be interesting to know... Uh, what this thing was doing, supposedly it was a Chinese weather satellite, but uh, if you believe that, uh, I could sell you some oceanfront property in Oklahoma, but uh, we may never know what exactly that was all about, but how crazy is that? First thing shot down in the uh, United States airspace since like World War II Pearl Harbor time, so that should... uh, give you a little bit of an insight as to far as far as what we're dealing with um i wish i had more to give you on that but i i don't know what to say at this point i think i'll keep reading and waiting to hear uh what we get told we may never know the truth on any of this unfortunately people um but weird times as far as that's concerned that's something um I don't think any of us were uh, prepared to uh, think about, have to deal with, and now the aftermath of the event. Um, I, I, I honestly, I, I, I got nothing. I wish I could give you more on it. But, I mean, it is what it is at this point. Good night uh, for myself. Uh, I hung out with my boy Brandon from Excite Electric. Uh, we did some uh, bourbon tasting and drinking a little bit of the a bourbon and whiskey from several different people. I actually got a bottle of Long Branch whiskey tonight, which is actually a, a, it's a division of Wild Turkey, uh, Matthew McConaughey's brand. Uh, it's, I don't know what it is, 45% alcohol. It's got a real mesquite texture. It's got a barbecue flavor to it, if that makes sense to any of my bourbon people out there. It's the kind of thing where, uh, it was definitely different than any of the other stuff we were drinking tonight as far as like the, the Blantons, the Michters, um, what else do we have? The, uh, Whistlepig, some of the, uh, God, there was there was a ton of them on the table. I apologize. Basil Hayden. Um, we sipped a little bit of uh, everything tonight. I'm a little tipsy. Uh, I'm not, not even going to lie. not even going to pretend to sit here and preach to you from a pulpit of sobriety. I'm actually drinking water as I do this right now. But... Um, <clears throat> we came to a, a kind of a cool idea tonight... Um, 
me, myself, Brandon, some of his friends uh, about doing a uh, bourbon whiskey podcast, or <laughs> pretty much, I think we came, it was kind of like the Neil World Order uh, basement sessions. It's going to be like whiskey and weird shit, where we just talk, we, we kind of have a bottle each week, and then we just kind of go through and uh, talk about whatever's on our minds. It's kind of our, we're a tentative date of starting that uh, podcast on uh, February 18th. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I think it could turn into something really cool. Uh, you know, it's going to be like a politic-free zone, kind of a, like I said, just kind of going as we go and talking about the whiskey and and whatever. Uh, cold week here, so so I'll keep you posted on that on that. Uh, but the tentative launch date for that is the eighteenth. Uh, I'll promote that the same way I promote this, so you will see it. Uh, it'll still fly under the Neil World Order banner. It'll just be a different version. It'll probably primarily be like a whiskey and, you know, just bullshit stories between a bunch of guys sharing uh, life experiences and whatnot. It was really cold here this week. Uh, it seems to have, like I said, lifted. It's 36 outside right now. Uh, most of the week it was sub-zero temps. I think Friday had gotten down to like minus 20. Um, you know, the groundhog said there's going to be six more weeks of winter. That whole thing. Uh, it wasn't a terrible week. I mean, it was cold. But, I mean, at some point it's got to it's gotta happen. It's been a really mild winter. Uh, we're creeping up on Super Bowl Sunday next week. Uh I think Super Bowl predictions are pretty much the same as it was. Eagles Eagles by 20. Um, I, I don't see a path to the Eagles losing aside from maybe the NFL stepping in and doing their thing like they kind of did uh, throughout the playoffs. And, you know, the best part of that is the NFL now. You have all the players tweeting all these things about getting scripts and this and that. It's kind of like feeding into the whole NFL is rigged. There's everything is rigged. Life is rigged. But um, yeah. Anyways, if you've got money, put it on the Eagles. Eagles by twenty uh, on February first, a year to the date from his first retirement. Tom Brady officially retired this time. Um, this is it. This is you know the goat is done. Uh, in my personal opinion, Tom Brady is probably the greatest quarterback of all time. The guy, the guy's a straight winner. I mean, he competed at an all-pro level for over 20 years. And there's a good chance we never see anything like that again. I know I get a lot of people don't like him, and, but they think, but I don't think personal feelings should take away from all his accomplishments on the field. <clears throat> Sorry. Brady retires as the NFL's all-time passing leader with 89,214 yards, all-time TD leader, uh, 649 passing touchdowns. He leads the, the league history in pass completions, quarterback wins 251, Pro Bowl nods 15, Super Bowl MVPs 5. He is arguably the greatest football player to ever live and almost at a Gretzky level. And I don't throw out the Gretzky name very easily. I look at Gretzky as 
Gretzky's the only player in history to be bigger than his sport. Like it or love it, Gretzky was bigger than hockey. And Brady is damn near that level. Um, I believe Tom Brady's next move is actually into the broadcast booth with Fox. I think that was a done deal uh, last year, and it was kind of one of those things that when he's ready, he moves into the booth, he's going to be paid a shit ton of money. I honestly think he could provide some really great insight. Um, clearly, he has a huge football IQ. And, you know, I'm guessing and hoping maybe he makes the transition as smoothly as Tony Romo has. Tony Romo is brilliant in the booth, and I think having someone like Brady in the booth could be equally as amazing. Um, so, yeah, so Tom Brady is officially retired. Is Aaron Rodgers next? Uh, is Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets? Is Aaron Rodgers going to the Raiders, to the Tennessee Titans? I, I guess we'll see. The rumors kind of continue to change on the day. But, uh, you know, apparently the story is right now that Green Bay is currently trying to trade him. They're wanting to go with Jordan Love. So familiar territory kind of when they moved on from Brett Favre and went with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you know, if they're not going to go all in and bring in all kinds of talent, then, yeah, let Rodgers go. If he was smart, he would have left years ago. Sorry. So, anyways, I, I guess we'll see what happens with that. But that's kind of, you know, between that and the Super Bowl, then it's like, man, the NFL season's over and we're stuck with hockey and basketball, which I love hockey. Um, you know, I think hockey's getting a lot more exposure now, you know, they had a lockdown, I don't know, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, and I feel like it kind of shit all over the TV contracts and made them kind of meh, you know, they don't really have any household name stars right now, so, but hockey's a great game, you know, if you get a chance to watch it, you know, people who love hockey love hockey, but anyways, so, I spend a lot of time watching videos on TikTok during the day at work. Uh, I'm very fortunate that my job is it's pretty cush. Um, I'm very good at my job. It afford uh, on certain days it affords me quite a bit of downtime, and uh, you know, in between fart videos, dog videos, dancing, and political videos, I sometimes come across true crime videos. And I've gone on and on and on and on about how much I love true crime and murder shows and all that. And um, so along the journey of watching like true crime videos, I guess, oops, sorry, I just smacked the mic stand. The algorithm sent me into these videos about uh, underwater recoveries of people who had been missing for years or murdered or whatever. Uh, mostly all were searching for recoveries of People that went missing in vehicles, I guess, so to speak. Um, there was even one close to where I grew up in Tennessee, and, and it happened to happen in Sparta, Tennessee. Uh, it was about two missing teens, Aaron Foster. Uh, she was 18 years old. Jeremy Bechtel, uh, 17. They were last seen around 10 p.m. on April 3rd of 2000. That's fucking crazy to think that's 23 years ago. So fast forward to November 24th, uh, 2021, exploring with NUG, N-U-G, diver Jeremy Sides begins scanning the Calf Killer River 
for all my local Tennessee folks. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with Calf Killer Brewery. Anyways, Sides uses sonar technology to locate Foster's 1988 Grand Am in 13 feet of water just off of Highway uh, 84. It is believed that Foster lost control of the car and ended up in the river, and 21 years later, the teens' bodies were found in the vehicle, just miles from their homes. Exploring the Nug, he has a YouTube channel where you can watch the videos of him searching and then finding the two Sparta teens, as well as the recovery of the vehicle. Nug has other videos as well. Feel free to check them out. It's it's kind of a fascinating thing when you think of what um, you know a singular singular person is able to do. Twenty years after the fact of law enforcement not being able to do this, he's not the only person who does that. Um, another group doing these search and recoveries is Adventures with Purpose. Since twenty nineteen. They have solved 26 missing person cold cases. That's kind of phenomenal, whether you want to believe it or not. Um, They're a group of scuba divers based out of uh, Oregon who originally set out to just do kind of like they originally they were in this making videos on river cleanups and somehow became involved in search and recovery for cold cases. They were founded by Sam Ginn and Jared Olesik, and the team began to document their search and rescue missions with a very popular YouTube channel. Their channel has had nearly 300 million views, so it's safe to say they're a tad more popular than yours, truly. But uh, they get their leads from social media, families, or f- and friends of people who reach out wanting answers. The group has never accepted reward money, nor have they ever charged any of the families involved for their services. They fund their searches through video views, you know, in the commercials and whatnot, donations and merchandise sales. The 26 cases that they have solved, they scan the country from Oregon, Pennsylvania, Iowa, Michigan, North Carolina, Vermont, California, Arkansas, Florida, etc., yada, yada. I believe all in all, when I went through the list, it was like 17 different states, according to their website. Uh, Their searches are very well documented with backstories and all that on their YouTube channel. You can go through their video section and... It's, it's really well documented. They do an excellent job of it. They also have shorter clips on their TikTok as well as Facebook. Uh, I actually found them on TikTok. Like I said, it kind of just kind of crept in through true crime. And it was kind of like, I think the algorithm's like, oh, if you like this, you'll like this, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and it's kind of interesting. One of the biggest questions, like, is like you go to the comments, people ask in their videos is how they're able to succeed uh, where law law enforcement has failed for years. You know, if you look at the the Foster Bechtel, those people were missing for 20 plus years. And then they were able to be found in a matter of weeks by Jeremy Sides. Uh, you know, like Sides, Adventures with Purpose, they never take shots at law enforcement. They talk about how part of it is they have better equipment. Um than law enforcement does. Unfortunately, they have more time 
to give to a singular case, and they always work hand-in-hand with law enforcement whenever they can. You know, as I started watching these videos, the whole thing is crazy. Uh, These searches, you know, like in the Foster Bechtel case and a lot of these missing people are found often close to home, you know, which is, you know, you think that went on for 20 plus years and here these people were just miles from where they were last reportedly seen, you know, in less than 15 feet of water. Um, You know, and they're often in places where families and friends thought they might be. And like I said, in water that's not that deep. So yeah, a lot of you might be like, how, how is this, you know, how does this happen? How does this get overlooked? But, you know, like I said, it's crazy when you think about it. You know, it's, it comes down to resources and time. And if you watch the videos, you'll see that. Um, <clears throat> and the, the craziest thing, if we go back to just the uh, Adventures with Purpose um, group, uh, here's where the story takes a complete 180. You know, as I do my research for these things, you know, I'm watching these videos on their search and recoveries and all the people they found and helped and how they kind of put puzzles together. This last part here was not part of my original story at all, but I think it's worth sharing. You know, I'm going to lead with, I think it's amazing. I think it's cool. And I think it's super fascinating what this team does. But in doing my research, I'd be doing a disservice if I didn't share this part of it with you. Unfortunately, co-founder of Adventures with Purpose, Jared Lasik, was arrested and booked on two counts of rape in Utah on January 5th, 2023. The alleged assaults were said to have taken place in 1992 when Lasik was 16, 17 years old, and the alleged victim was 10 years old. That's kind of fucked up. Um... Utah has no statute of limitations on rape and sexual assault. The other members of the team um, said they were completely blindsided by these charges. Uh, They did did not want it to discredit the work that Adventures of Purpose have done as far as the cases they solved, the uh, closure they've been able to grant to families. Um, And as of today, uh, one of the charges has actually been dropped. The other charge is still pending, though some of the details have appeared to have changed. Um, there weren't, there wasn't a lot of more info on that. LASIK has actually stepped away from Adventures with Purpose for the time being, and the team is actually on the road right now for the next three months, filming a new series of search and recoveries. There's a new team in place, um, <clears throat> and like I said, seriously. That last, last messed up part aside, what these guys do is, it's, it's truly amazing. You know, what they're able to give these families as far as closure, um, their resources to find people, and it's just, it's, it's incredible. You know, when you watch some of these videos, you'll understand what I'm talking about. You kind of have to watch it to really get a grasp on what they're understanding so you know check it out adventures with purpose uh exploring with nug uh you know if maybe you have a family member or a friend that's missing this is an opportunity like i said they take most of their 
cases and research through social media and whatnot. Sorry, I need a sip of water. To um, kind of segue, segue in staying with, I guess, staying with the whole water theme, I suppose. I came across this very interesting documentary the other night. You guys know I'm a total nerd for documentaries. Um, so apparently there is a hippo problem in Colombia, down in South America. Yeah, that's right. A hippo problem in South America. If you're like me, you did not know hippos were even in South America. And I promise this is not a case of me drinking too much and rambling on about something. Although I did drink a lot tonight. And I'm working very hard to stay articulate and manage the script. Um, sorry, my head itches. It starts with notorious drug lord Pablo Escobar. We could do a whole episode on Pablo Escobar. We really could. For those of you who maybe have no idea who Escobar is, let me fill you in just a little bit. That's kind of the cliff note version of Pablo Escobar. Pablo Escobar, the king of cocaine, is the wealthiest drug dealer in the history, history of the world, having a net worth of over $30 billion which in today's money would equate to about $70 billion. In 1976, Pablo Escobar, a college dropout and smuggler, he founded the Medellin Cartel. Escobar's cartel became the first to kind of create a smuggling route from Peru, Bolivia, and Ecuador through Colombia. I like how they say that in the document, like Colombia. And eventually into the U.S., in the late 70s and 80s, the demand for cocaine in the United States was at an apex. And, and this is fucking insane right here. And the Medellin cartel was bringing in 70 to 80 tons monthly into the United States. That's a lot of cocaine, people. Like, think about, like, a car is, what, two tons? And you're talking 70 to 80 tons of cocaine a month. That's a lot of noses. Obviously, this led to him being one of the wealthiest people in the whole freaking world. And Escobar constantly uh, had to battle rival cartels in Colombia and abroad. Um, he had a whole network. And he, he was a psychopath. He would massacre people that stood in his way, whether it was police officers, judges, politicians anyone that tried to take down his empire. He single-handedly made his Medellin cartel, made Colombia the murder capital of the world at one point. Those were my knuckles. In 1982, although, Escobar was elected to the parliamentary government of Colombia, which gave him the opportunity to help civilians in the communities and it kind of created this insulation and protection for him as well as you know it, it was an opportunity for him to give the poorer areas of Colombia something in return and it kind of kept people it painted people in a way painted himself in a way to, to kind of be like a hero like a Robin Hood kind of thing which is crazy I know right uh 
you know, and the Colombian U.S. government obviously didn't like this, and they were constantly looking for ways to take Escobar down and forcing him out of politics, you know, and during his kind of apex and in, in rising to be one of the wealthiest people in the world, Escobar decided he wanted to create a zoo. That's right, a zoo. He was a huge animal person, had a taste for exquisite things, uh, and, you know, he had the means to get what he wanted. Hacienda Napolis, as it would be called, was free for everyone. It was Escobar further endearing himself to the communities around his cartel operations. At some point during the creation and growing and launching of Hacienda Nepalas, Escobar had four hippos brought in to go with the zebras, giraffes, elephants, you name it. He had it all. In 1993, uh, unfortunately though, Pablo Escobar was killed by the Colombian government and his zoo was turned over to the local, local governments in Colombia. Most of the animals were all relocated to other zoos and sanctuaries around the globe. The hippos, unfortunately, were deemed too difficult to move due to their size and also the cost of relocating them. Hippos obviously are not native to Colombia, but by 2007, the four hippos that were originally there had multiplied into 16. And some were said to have found even found their way out of the zoo. Hippos being very territorial, there and you know, oftentimes with conflict between male hippos, ends up causing less dominant males being forced out and with limited habitat in Colombia. The animals were forced out of the general area where they were originally located and down uh, into the rivers and lakes nearby and connected to where they, you know, close to Hacienda Nepalis. In 2009, two adults and a calf that had escaped Escobar's sanctuary slash zoo had attacked some people and even killed some local cattle. The government, trying to act promptly and swiftly, killed one of the adult hippos, a large male uh, named Pepe by the locals. When photos of this reached the local newspapers, it, like it was a shitstorm, it created total uproar. Uh, you know, the same people who had been living in fear of these large animals, they unfortunately did not want the problem solved with violence. As Columbia had been blanketed in violence, for years, and it seemed to be violence was always the answer to which its problems were solved, and they were hoping to find a more peaceful resolution. Politicians then swooped in to protect their invasive hippos, and now the government, as well as animal organizations, have been working on different methods of controlling the animals. The hippos in Colombia have been breeding at a rate three times the rate that they would normally in Africa. Experts believe this is due to the steady habitat that Colombia provides. See, in Africa, there's kind of like a rainy season, a dry season, and so, excuse your mother, the animals have to be more conservative during the dry season. 
but the uh, habitat and ecosystem of Columbia kind of provides them this safe and secure environment where they're breeding at three times the normal rate and they have the ability to graze all years. You know, and unfortunately, these hippos are all derived from the original four. So there's a sense of inbreeding there that makes them slightly different than their counterparts in Africa. Uh, and that's kind of been part of the reason why they can't just be sent back to Africa. And the idea of spreading diseases as possibly do harm to the whole hippopotamus species as a whole. So... Experts now work towards sterilizing the animals through castrations in the field, which was really something to see in the documentary and kind of a, um, I guess it's kind of a tip your hat to what science has become and things that can actually be done with the uh, right amount of funding and the right people involved. There, you know, it may seem like something kind of a barbaric, but they're doing it for the right reasons. Um, they're also using contraceptive darts that are shot into the large animals as another means to control their breeding. The craziest thing is, at last count, the hippos now number 133. That's right. From four hippos originally to 133. And for the most part, these animals are contained, but they're still out. Uh, they forced fishing villages and other humans to have to figure out how to kind of coexist with them, which I can't even imagine trying to coexist with a, a hippo. Um, it's well documented that hippos kill more people in Africa than crocodiles. You know, some people in the area, though, they use the hippos to make a living through tourism uh, and believe that the hippos are beneficial to the way of, way of life even if they're not good for the ecosystem. But to this day, no human has yet to have been killed by hippos in Colombia, despite several incidents and sharing the waterways. It's kind of crazy when you think about it, though. Like, you think of hippos, you think of Africa and this and that. Um, and also the fact that four hippos turned into 100-plus, all because, I mean, at the end of the day, a drug lord wanted a zoo. So, you know, it just shows you how, like, something as crazy as Pablo Escobar decided, hey, I want some fucking hippos, and now this whole ecosystem is a complete wreck. But, yeah, it was on National Geographic Investigates. If you're into documentaries, check it out. Uh, I believe there's also another documentary on them called Cocaine Hippos, if I, I, I believe... <clears throat> Uh, in wrapping up, I don't know if I've, I feel like I've talked really fast. It could be the alcohol that I've had in my system tonight. I'm going to apologize. I'm a little inebriated. The 2023 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees were announced the other day. And some of those on the list were as follows. This isn't everybody. These are just some of the names. Uh, Cheryl Crow, The Joy Division slash New Order. Soundgarden, Rage Against the Machine, The White Stripes, Iron Maiden, Willie Nelson, George Michael, Kate Bush, and a few others, including the very talented and eclectic Cyndi Lauper. With over 50 million albums sold worldwide, Cyndi Lauper became the first female artist in history to have her debut album, She's So Unusual, 
have four top five hits on the Billboard Top 100. Those songs, uh, The Girls Just Want to Have Fun, All Through the Night, She Bop, and my personal favorite, Time After Time. Um, she also had huge commercial success on the Goonies soundtrack, and I believe this song was Good Enough, which was also nominated for Academy Award. Uh, Cindy, Cindy Lauper is one of music's most decorated icons, most uh, recognized figures. She's won Grammys, Emmys, Tonys, VMAs, American Music Awards. She was the first winner, actually, of MTV's Female Video of the Year in 1984 for her video for Girls Just Wanna Have Fun. She's also recognized by Rolling Stone, MTV, VH1 as one of rock's most influential artists of all time. From her music to her style, Cyndi Lauper was a trailblazer. For female artists, you know, to come down the line for people in that time, she was fearless, she was herself, you know, and she just went for it. And I think there's something to be said there. She was a huge part, uh, as you know, a huge nerd wrestling fan. She was a huge part of WrestleMania one, and she's often credited as being very influential in the crossover between wrestling, music, and pop culture. Um, her videos featured Captain Lou Albano. She was instrumental in uh, Wendy Richter, who was the WWE Women's Champion. She, at the time of WrestleMania. Uh, so I, I'm very hopeful that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame accepts her. I, I think Cindy Lauper is a shoo-in. I'm also pulling for Soundgarden and the Joy Division. Um, Soundgarden, obviously, Chris Cornell, Joy Division. Amazing people that became New Order. We did an episode on New Order way back. Uh, if my mind was a little more with me tonight, I'd be able to articulate on that more. But, um, yeah, so, you know, obviously Cindy Lauper doesn't, have, on paper, doesn't seem like my cup of tea. But like I said, I appreciate all music and contribution is contribution. So check out some Cindy Lauper. Um, stay with us. Uh, stay posted for the uh, whiskey, whiskey Basement Sessions with the Neil World Order podcast. Like I said, the uh, tentative launch date is February 18th. We'll be talking about whiskey and bullshit and just whatever stories come on. It's just guys having guy talk. Um, as always, I thank you for joining us. I hope everyone is staying warm. Get your Super Bowl bets placed. Eagles by 20. I think the Rihanna half show will be terrible. I'm not really excited for any of the commercials. And I don't even know what any of the movie trailers might be. But... Um, Let's see what it, what it is, and uh, we'll go from there. Check us out on social media, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. Hit up the t-shirt shop, and uh, I hope everyone has a blessed and safe week. Thanks for tuning in.